Welcome to our podcast, Let's Talk Mental Health, the show where we'll be discussing all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts our physical health. We'll share stories and speak with our behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide our listeners with the tools and resources they need to lead physically and mentally healthy lives. I'm going to be your host, Simona Trakiska, and joining me today, it's Lauren Harper, a licensed psychologist and behavioral health provider at Providence Sunset Internal Medicine in Portland. And before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program, it's for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So today we have gathered to talk about multicultural competence, what it means and why it is important. We will offer some insights and provide you with practical suggestions on how to become more culturally competent. So let's start. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. So can you tell us a little bit more about your role at Providence? Sure. So I'm a licensed psychologist within primary care um, where we provide mental health related support, um, also focusing on chronic health and illness. So if someone has like a chronic disease that they're managing, um, how can we support them as the whole person, not just their physical health, but also their mental health? Mm-hmm. So, Lauren, most people have heard about the importance of cultural awareness, but not as much about multicultural competence. What is the difference? Yeah, cultural awareness, um, I believe, is a much more broad uh, general term, just having some type of understanding, general observation or possible awareness about things that happen kind of in our culture, in our world. Uh, multicultural competence, however, is a much more of a focus on um, really being able to help support people by understanding them through their identity, um, trying to meet people where they are based on their identity markers, maybe um, focusing some of your care for them through lenses or through methods that may resonate with them more. So um, instead of using a one-size-fit-all type of care, right? We kind of look at them as a person individually and see how we can meet them where they are based on um, how they present. So Lauren, when we talk about care, how important it is for therapists and psychologists to be multiculturally competent? Well, it's very important, right? And even more so, like we were just saying, more important than just general cultural awareness, mainly because, you know, if you're not really considering Um, not only how to meet a person where they are based on their worldview, um, you're also probably not considering how your own personal worldview shows up when you're working with them. Um, So lacking some of that cultural awareness um, of yourself makes it typically where you have these blind spots where you're likely maybe missing something from the other person's perspective. Um, And so that's how things happen where uh, maybe sometimes patients feel not heard or not seen rather, Um, not kind of taking into consideration all of them, just one part of them, seeing them from one lens, or trying to use just one type of care treatment for them that really may not resonate with them or be helpful. Um, So it's really important to have that multicultural competence, where competence meaning um, you have some type of training, you have some type of true um, focus in the area of multiculturalism. um, That's where that competence piece comes in. 
Mm -hmm. Yes, because people are shaped by their environment and a lot of times they carry within themselves a lot of the cultural beliefs and norms and their perspective is shaped because of where they grew up and where they come from. And so understanding all of these components and how somebody has been formed to be the person that they are. Yes, indeed, it's so important. Mm -hmm. So as humans, we all possess implicit bias, um, kind of like unconscious attitudes and stereotypes that trigger the formation of our opinions and behaviors. Can you share with us a little bit more about what is implicit bias and why do we need to be aware of it? Yeah, so kind of like I was just saying before about blind spots, right, that we all hold um, our own perceptions of other people. We all have our own judgments of people um, on some level, just at the foundation of how our brains work and how we are trying to organize and understand the world is that we make judgments about things, we make assumptions about things, we use previous knowledge and previous experience to understand um, current and future events. And so some of that is just an organizational strategy, you know, that our brain uses. However, um, then there comes in kind of that uh, social kind of uh, aspect of it, the cultural aspect of it, where stereotypes um, become bred, right? And that's where prejudice happens and all of that. So. Um, I think that's more so where the implicit bias comes in, is taking a lot of your history or things you've learned um, about the world, but using that um, m typically much more of in a negative way, right? Or it just becomes so ingrained in you that you don't even realize that you're seeing or viewing people with that lens. Yeah, it's so interesting because sometimes we don't realize that it's something that it's inside of us and is triggering these behaviors. So what would you advise people to do in regards to what are the things that they can notice and figure out that this is something that actually it's not serving them well or those around them? Yeah, well, for one, I mean, I would encourage people to even look at their personal lives first um, and seeing what does your personal life even look like? Is it diverse? Um, the people you spend time around, the areas that you visit, um, the foods that you enjoy, the cultures that you enjoy, right? And then we enjoy many cultures in lots of ways that I think we don't typically maybe recognize or honor or appreciate for, for um, that culture of origin, right? So looking at, you know, how you engage in life and culture um, is one in personal ways and one. Also, um, in how in the content you consume, right? The media you consume, um, books that you read, if any, right? Those are typically areas where you can look at if you aren't kind of looking into other um, types of media or content, that might be one thing that's limiting you that can, in, you know, increase some of that impl implicit bias. Um, so I would encourage you to kind of look at that and then see where you can expand in that realm. Um, that may kind of help with some of that as well. What a great advice. So exposure and then consumption of information and then digestion and then how you show up in the world, mm -hmm. in your in your inner circle or in the broader um, in broader ways. Um, so we're all shaped by our own experiences, like you mentioned. Um, and if we're not open to different perspectives and aware and respect other cultures and individuals from different places, we become somewhat kind of like prisoners of our own reality. And so how important it is self-awareness when applied to the whole? Mm -hmm. Very self-aware, right? I think we were saying 
some of this before. Um, very important, I mean, <laughs> in that when you're working with other people, when you're interacting with other people, it could be likely fairly difficult for you to relate to them, for you to truly be able to hear multiple perspectives of things and be able to appreciate multiple perspectives of things um, without necessarily having to completely negate your own perspective, right? But just in, a, in an avenue or opportunity to learn more, that if you don't have a level of self-awareness for your own self, um, it can be very difficult to kind of see some of those things in other people. Um, also, self-awareness is important because if you're interacting with other people and say you're both trying to um, learn from each other or you're work, trying to work together, right? Typically, people who are not that self-aware have a hard time um, with expressing themselves, but also have a hard time um, with feeling maybe judged by other people. Um, and it's hard to communicate with them. It's hard to, you know, because you're lacking some of this um, ability to even notice when maybe you feel triggered or you lack this ability to notice um, when you're possibly mistaking something, right? Like you just don't have this ability to kind of track how you are functioning and what, what you're thinking and feeling in that moment to communicate that effectively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems that self-awareness, while it's a simple term, it, it is difficult to achieve. But the more that we are mindful of our behavior and how we show up and how we consume information and how we interact with others, the more actually we are evolving. So it's a, it's an ongoing life practice. Yeah, definitely. So sometimes even in an effort to understand others, we label them. Um, so things have changed over time. And indeed with recent events, we have all waken up. Uh, language matters, how we talk and describe others. So let's take for an example, the term BIPOC, Black, Indigenous and People of Color. Can you tell us a little bit about the shift from using the term, um, you know, marginalized and minority um, groups and, and why it has been good to expand that term and to now have it as a BIPOC term? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, for starters, um, terms like marginalized or a minority uh, tend to take on a fairly negative connotation. Um, I would say from my kind of understanding of some shift in language is that typically also folks from mar uh, communities of color have felt the terms like marginalized or minority are terms that have been placed up on them in that folks of color aren't marginalized but live within systems that have marginalized them, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's a newer term from marginalized was minoritized, meaning like um, having been placed in a minority, right, based on our systems and culture. Uh, within American culture. Uh, but the shift to BIPOC, I believe, is really with this effort um, to not leave out any particular group of folks. Um, I think just various communities of color have seen that there are typically, there have been within this country hierarchies with even within various communities of color. Um, there is specific focuses sometimes in communities of color where some communities are getting more attention on concerns versus others. Um, just lots of kind of issue there. So I believe this term BIPOC was with the intention to kind of include multiple groups, right? But there's criticisms of the term BIPOC as well with this idea of BIPOC then still also lumps people together and that people are not all based on just an acronym and that communities deserve to be spelled out and named individually. So 
Um, I believe it's it's still one of those terms we'll have to continue to see how it evolves. Um, but I think what's most important is it's up to communities of color to decide how they feel about the term. And I think it's important for um, just as a society that we follow that lead and listen to that. I'll, personally, I, I kind of agree with the BIPOC lumping people together um, and feels it's more important to spell out um, communities of color individually or name the community specifically that you're speaking of, right? If you're interested in saying uh, of uh, folks of Latin, Latin descent, right? Um, you want to speak that. You may it may not be helpful to say BIPOC, right? As Black folks, Indigenous folks don't have the same struggles and concerns as Latin X people, right? So it might be important to specify whom exactly you're speaking of. Um, but again, right? I can see that there can be some some positives to the term BIPOC. So I think we should just see how it continue to evolve. Well, I couldn't agree more that, you know, the communities that are being addressed need to decide what they feel comfortable with and in respect to their individual identity and, you know, being part of the whole and the communities that they uh, belong to and, and they love. So what is good, it, it, you know, even though this term, uh, it would continue to evolve and we see how communities feel about it. Um, at least there is some sense of humanity that is trying to be applied. So it's so important not to overgeneralize and to label, you know, everyone as uh, as one. So Lauren, what kind of practical suggestions would you recommend for practicing multicultural competence? It, cell phone awareness was something that we talked about, having, you know, uh, developing this unique cultural outlook. Um, but what else can people do in their daily life? Yeah, we de definitely talked about expanding um, the type of information that you're consuming. Um, so, you know, coming from different perspectives, from different types of authors, um, it would be very important. Also expanding your own networks personally or maybe even professionally. Um, it may be just as it's a helpful, you know, here at Providence, we work in team-based care. And so we work interprofessionally. And it's always very helpful to hear from people of different disciplines to under all we all, how we all understand the same problem differently, right? And can then work together to solve that problem from different perspectives. The same thing within multicultural competence, right? Expanding um, whom you listen to, whom you speak with, whom you spend your time with um, is super important. Um, I also say, It'd be helpful as well, likely, especially if you're a professional, to see what your discipline is saying about these topics. Um, so, for example, I'm in psychology. Uh, we consider ourselves to be some of the um, experts around multicultural competence, um, which I believe rightfully so. Um, however, you may be in an area of business. You may be in an area, um, you know, where multicultural competence is not a very common term. Um, so, it'd be really helpful to see what your or your specialty or your organizations are talking about. And if they're not, that clearly is an area, right, where you can ask more questions. You can inquire, you know, what do we think about this? Shouldn't we be talking about mm -hmm. something like this? Um, you know, paying attention to current events. I think oftentimes everyone's busy. Everyone has a lot that we're experiencing and it can be a bit like media overload. And at the same time, I believe it can be common that if there are current events happening that don't resonate with you for whatever reason, maybe they're not happening to people of your um, ethnic origin, maybe they're not happening in your area, um, that we kind of tune it out, 
because of the overload, right? So I get it. There's a balance to that, but it's also important to make sure you're not just kind of living under a rock and you don't know what's happening. You're not hearing from people about what's happening. Those are the things that help increase your uh, multicultural confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the more that you're open, the more that you can actually connect to others and you can truly understand them. And in you know, along the way, with this desire of trying to get to know someone, you actually might build an amazing friendship and a relationship. <laughs> and if I may add, you know, as I'm saying, broaden your scope and, and kind of your perspective of things, that does not include just going to the one person you know, maybe of that particular cultural group and asking a bunch of questions, right? That is not that doesn't suffice. That also puts this other person in position to now educate you on something they may not have an interest in doing mm -hmm. without any real compensation, right? That's inappropriate and unhelpful. So I'm saying things like doing some of your own preliminary research, um, you know, just doing your own kind of expanding and broadening of your scope. And then maybe where you have questions, right? You want to maintain some type of rapport and relationship there. So then maybe you want to have conversations with people you feel comfortable with and saying, here are some different things I've been reading and learning about. Here's some things I kind of don't really understand. I'm wondering kind of your thoughts on that or your perspective, right? That comes from a place where that person still feels like a human, where you actually care mm -hmm. about their own personal experience and not just like, you know, you showed up to a, muse a museum and they're an exhibit and, <laughs> and then you're learning right. from them just in that way. So being proactive, but in a meaningful way where you're actually exposing yourself to different environments, different people, and you're not relying on them to provide you with all of the information that you are trying to find or seek to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like brings us to our next question, which is, do you believe that everyone should be their own devil's advocates aiming to decrease social errors, allowing space for expression of legitimate viewpoints? kind of like avoiding also self-silencing, which we all do at times, especially if we're in our inner circle and we have pressure from our social circle to behave in a certain way, or if we're afraid to have a different perspective and express it because we may feel, you know, that everybody's going to get defensive. And so what people can do to be their own devil's advocate and really shift conversations and shift their own perspective in, you know, in the process, but also that of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it can be a really challenging thing to navigate and that there's not, in my opinion, there's not a one size fits all type answer that all situations will vary. Um, and there will all have times where it just maybe is a bit more uncomfortable or feels more risky um, in, in those circles to bring up topics or to, uh, I think, even more common, uh, maybe to speak out against something maybe someone else is presenting that you feel like is inappropriate or, or not helpful, right? So what I just encourage people to typically think about is, well, what risk am I likely going to potentially experience, right? Is it a risk that something that might be like a re relationship rupture and that's something that we can possibly repair in the future? Likely, right? Mm -hmm. Will that be difficult? Maybe, sure, right? So that makes it uncomfortable, but it's something that you likely can either recover from, hopefully if the rapport is there, um, or it's something that you'll just, you know, you kind of have to adjust to if, if it doesn't 
improve. Understanding, right? So that's probably the first thing is, do you even speak out necessarily against things that where you don't maybe have that rapport there first, so that it's likely you can repair a rupture? Maybe, maybe not. Right. However, if you think about what are the risks that other people then have, right? There are some people who take risk every day, not because they choose to, but because they have to, because they present to maybe in certain ways that they can't help but not be um, vocal about certain things. They have identities that aren't necessarily hidden um, or things they can't hide behind, like, you know, race and ethnicity and sometimes gender identity, sexuality, things like that, disability status, things like that. So, I like to encourage people to remember, what is the risk I'm taking? And if it's a risk that is something that I likely can recover from, something that um, it's just going to be uncomfortable, but not necessarily, but it's a privilege I have, right, to have even that level of risk, which might be considered low relative to other people's level of risk that may be from that particular cultural group or, or cultural idea that you're trying to defend or speak from. Well, I love these insights and advice, kind of like measuring the pros and the cons from, you know, expressing yourself and even, you know, assessing whether or not somebody is capable of comprehending, you know, the message that you have. And also maybe another thing is the timing. Maybe right now it's not the right time and maybe there is a different moment that, you know, you can have a more gentle approach to expressing yourself. Um, so I love that advice. Thank you. So, Lauren, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What inspires you every day to do your work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think what inspires me is that knowing that people and humans are resilient and that we can typically overcome almost anything. And um, that inspires me because it's an idea that can be really difficult to hold on to for most people, um, even for me, <laughs> even in my regular life. Uh, but I think I find much value in that if I can hold on to that and can bring someone along with me on that journey as they're trying to navigate, you know, whatever they're going through with life, they typically get there. Some people sometimes faster than others, right? Some people with more ease sometimes than others, um, but they typically can get there. And so it's maintaining that level of hope that resilience truly is possible is something that inspires me. And then I get to see every day people transform, people change. Um, I get to see people get closer and closer to living lives that they really want to. Um, and that's pretty inspiring, right? When the days get long <laughs> and then the, the days are long and things are hard and there's lots of things happening and lots to experience. But just remembering that there's always hope there that mm -hmm. things can improve, things can change, things can be better um, is something that inspires me. Because I get to see it happen all the time, even when I don't always remember that myself. <laughs> well, you're doing an amazing work and you're really helping people to transform. And thank you for sharing all of your insights today. Um, you know, I get inspired to work with people like you every day. And I hope that our audience, um, you know, enjoyed this conversation. And there is so much beauty in multicultural competence. And again, it's, you know, it's just be out there in the world and have good intentions and have positive attitude and appreciate others and try to relate to them in a unique way. And everybody's a human and everybody has feelings and emotions and we all have traumas. And so just being sensitive and being mindful seems a good formula. Absolutely. <laughs>
Lauren, I couldn't thank you more uh, for being here today with us and sharing your time and your expertise. Have a beautiful day and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You have a wonderful day as well. Thank you so much. We look forward to continuing the important conversations on wellness with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our podcasts on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to providence.org. Thank you.